in my neck of the woods. It just says uh, stout aged on natural vanilla beans. It's called Mean Old Tom. And this, see, oh, do I hear Do I hear an open? Almost. <laughs> episode 148 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. Catch new episodes weekly as the Reverend Shannon Meacham, Ogan Holer, and a special guest address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand. Today, Shannon has flown the coop. She's on vacation, actually, with our super producer, Derek Wesson, for his 40th birthday. Happy birthday, Derek. Happy birthday. They're all in Puerto Rico beaching it out right now. Uh, so we have two. We got two guests. We got two of our regulars who are now coming to form a super guest. Is that how that works? To us. By our powers combined. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we got Reverend Layton and Rabbi Eli. Reverend Layton Williams is a writer and a, a PC USA minister. She's currently based in Charleston, South Carolina, and serves at Sunrise Church on Sullivan's Island. I am I am crazy jealous of those beach church picks that you do because I'm up it's in pretty amazing. New England. Uh, <laughs> she's also the author of Holy Disunity, How What Separates Us Can Save Us. So welcome back, Layton. Thank you. Happy to be here. And we're also drawn by Rabbi Eli Friedman. Eli's major areas of work at Rodef Shalom include social justice initiatives, adult education, working with young adults and young families. He, his wife, Laurel, and their daughters, Josephine and Nora, live in the wonderful Kensington neighborhood of Philadelphia, where they enjoy dining out, live music, and home brewing. How do we, how can we get some of that home brewing? I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, um, we have been brewing mostly at the synagogue, and um, I'm going to have two beers uh, ready for actually Purim which is a okay. big uh, Jewish festival uh, celebrating you know, we read the book of Esther. That'll be in uh, March. And so um, I'll send a couple bottles down your guys' way. Nice. Purim is my second favorite uh, Jewish holiday. Oh, so. what's your favorite? Uh, okay, I can't say it right, but it's uh, Simcha Torah, where they unroll yeah, the whole. Really well with the ch and everything. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I grew up going to that service with my best friend, Ed, and like, and they unrolled the Torah, and I just always thought it was two holidays where we traditionally drink, so I... Uh, that might not be a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to say, is the brewing connected to the holiday, or is this a happenstance? You know, there's a, there's a commandment on both of these holidays to rejoice, to be glad, and as we know from the book of Psalms, you know, there's no gladness without some, uh, some wine said. and strong drink. Enough said. Enough said. So those of you listening, you can show your love for Pub Theology Live by becoming a supporter on Patreon, starting at the shot glass level, a mere two bucks a month, where you have access to some um, extended interviews with special guests. And from there on up, you get access to um, pre and post show videos and more content. Uh, like uh, last week, Derek, Shannon, and I um, wax poetic about Star Wars, uh, The Last Skywalker, and we talked a little bit about that today as well. And we ended the show last week, post-show last week, was some great parenting stuff. And I use great in air quotes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think we think it was great, but other parents might disagree. So yeah, if you want the, uh, the Parenting 101 Pub Theology Live version, check uh, out Patreon. And you can also see more clips on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, if I get my act together, and use the hashtag PTLive. Today, we discuss the awake spiritual life, kindness, immigration, and justice, all the light stuff. Uh, but before we do that, let's jump into what we are drinking. Leighton, what do you got? Uh, sadly, I have a non-alcoholic beverage. Um, in theory, uh, I am doing dry January, although I have to admit my boyfriend and I were literally just texting each other about the national championship game tonight. and like, will we make it? Will we make it? I don't yeah. know. Um, but for now, for the next hour, I am 
uh, sticking to my resolution. And so I'm drinking what I normally drink with vodka in it, but instead it's just uh, lime, sparkling water, and grapefruit juice. Um, okay. Yeah. So you so. made it 13 days. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> technically I was in Nashville visiting some old friends last week. And I was good for two days, and then on the last day, we went to a brewery, so... It's about the intention. I mean, when you yeah. go to a brewery, how are you going to not, you know? I know. Right. I don't. I have no regrets. Exactly. And Eli, what are you drinking? Uh, so I'm, I'm not doing uh, dry January, but I'm actually doing Veganuary, where we're doing, going vegan for January, but uh, still drinking plenty. Um, I'm doing something, something a little fun and local. This is uh, Yards, and this is the, uh, the Poor Richard's Spruce Ale. Um, it's a, a original recipe dates back to Ben Franklin and you can see good old, uh, good old Ben Franklin oh, yeah. there. And, um, the one problem is that I don't, I'm in my office here and I don't have an opener. So I was trying to decide, found this little lid to something. Oh, a key and a key or a, uh, money clip. What do you can think? You, can you zoom back the video? Cause this could get interesting. <laughs> what about just using the edge of your desk? Have you ever done that? Where you like hook you it? And try. Then... All right. It might break the glass. I was going to say, how attached attached are you to the condition of your desk? (laughs) I'm not that attached. Okay, all right. There he goes. He's trying. It's like digging in a little. Uh, Uh I got a little bit. I'm going to try to finish it off here. (laughs) Tell us about what you're drinking, and I'll uh, I'll keep working on this. Who says there was no comedy on this show? Um, (laughs) I have a – this is called from Maine Beer Company um, in my neck of the woods. It just says uh, stout aged on natural vanilla beans. It's called Mean Old Tom. And this, see, oh, do I hear Do I hear an open? Almost. <laughs> this company did not waste any overhead expense on labels. I don't know if you can see this. Oh, just barely, yeah. It, it looks is, like something I typed up. It is type and just like a little pencil drawn face. For, I kind of like it though. For Mean Tom. When I saw it in the store, I thought it was like homebrewed stuff that the store guys had put together and just stuck it in the freezer. Um, but apparently, no. Being beer company, I've never had it before, so we'll see how it goes. And I have an opener, so I'm not going to be struggling like Eli over there. So I'm got it. You got it. Huzzah! Hey! I used the combo of the, the edge of the table and the key. It worked pretty well. Look at that. All right. Cheers. Cheers. So, uh, um, as as you all may know, um, our our questions are put together by um, our our creator founder of this pub theology movement, uh, Brian Burgoff, who's running for Congress, and we do the same questions that he sends out to all the pub theology groups around the country, and. Um, it is clear that the campaign was weighing heavily on his mind for some of these <laughs> questions. So we gonna, we gonna, we going to dive in. So if you were running for office, what would your campaign slogan be? <laughs> this is the opening question we ask. <laughs> Anybody, what would your campaign slogan be? This, um, this question made me realize I probably shouldn't run for office. <laughs> or, or maybe you should. Maybe <laughs> I should. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I do half seriously joke all the time about eventually running for uh, town council here where I live. Ooh. I'm like getting involved in really local politics. And so I always talk about like what my platform would be. And whatever it is, it's always about roads. Because it's like I get to my brother's house and I'm just like, been annoyed while driving and so I walk in and I'm like that's it when I run for town council it's about the roads <laughs> we're gonna have sidewalks bike lanes we're repaving um so it could be uh it's about the roads it's about the roads See, that's, <laughs> though, that's like multiple level you know it's true it's about the roads we could do it could be a, a spin on that uh oh back to the future line where we're going we don't need roads where <laughs> we're going we do need roads there you go <laughs> There you go. That works. That works. How about you, Eli? So I, um, I recently found out uh, Marianne Williamson just dropped out of the, mm-hmm. the race. And it was funny because I actually didn't even know she was in the race. And I <laughs> learned that she, but it prompted me, when I saw she dropped out, it prompted me to actually like, learn about her and learn about her campaign. Right. Actually, I loved it. I really loved her whole direction of yeah. love and of like, let's raise the discourse. And um, I don't know what, it, what the line would be exactly, but I think I would go that similar direction of, 
to me, that sort of is the root of so much of what's going on right now is sort of just the, the nasty discourse that, you know, the, the base level that sort of we've come to as a country and sort of elevating our conversation, um, putting more love out there in the world, something like that. Speaking of, uh, speaking of campaigns grown in, in love, uh, Cory Booker, he also suspended his campaign today. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. and, and his campaign was also um, very, very love-centric. So yeah. I'm sad to see him go. And um, once again, it's, it's um, the debate stage or the it's looking, looking pretty pale-faced again. Yeah. Um, mm. um, hopefully Andrew Yang can stick in a little bit longer. But um, I think I will adopt my campaign slogan would be um, a little bit like what Andrew Yang said at the debate. I know you're, you're all wondering, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I am too. <laughs> Something along those lines. I like that. Yeah, he was, he was, he was hilarious. Quite honest. Um, so, 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 so Leighton, so yeah, you're thinking, you're thinking it's a public office for real. Like, yeah, seriously, one day down the road. It's interesting. Down the road, that's funny. That was unintentional. <laughs> I, think you, I think you found it. There you go. <laughs> um, where I live. So I'm in Charleston, but I'm in uh, uh, the town of James Island, which is like a suburb. But what's weird is you can be on James Island and like parts of it with seemingly no logic or reason. Parts of it are not actually a part of the town. They're part of Charleston and other parts are part of the town. So like it is crucial to my plans that somehow I continue to live within the town limits without knowing what they are. <laughs> so we'll see. That, that, that makes sense. I always wonder, so, so just to get off track a little bit here. So <laughs> is this, is, do you feel this similarly to like your call to ministry or is this more like a, like a, a, a uh, intentional choice you're making versus being called to this? What's, what, what are you feeling? That's a great question. Um, I, I think it's a little bit more of the latter. And I've had this thought for years, and I think it was sort of born out of, um, you know, for 10 years after college, I moved around a lot and like was pretty transient and not super, always thinking about the future and like where I would live down the road and kind of had a more like big city or global perspective. Um, and was frankly pretty inattentive to my local surroundings. And so over time, I just started to sort of think about what it would be like to really invest long-term in a community. And mm -hmm. I'm sort of a go big or go home person. So it's like, if you're going to invest in a community, invest, invest rather all the way, right? And like be a part of it, not just for yourself, but for other people. So it really started because I'm interested in um, local educational politics um, but then I moved here and the roads are terrible. So <laughs> my attention shifted a little Priority bit. Priority shifted. <laughs> what about you, Eli? Any uh, political aspirations? So I, uh, I actually am a, an elected official. I am the, uh, I'm the inspector of elections for uh, Ward 18, Division 18 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Very big title. Um, wow. I actually just got my, my check, $125. Oh, big uh, spender. Inspecting the polls, big money for a 12-hour day. So, so, <laughs> so, I think about 14 hours. Listen, but, um, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what they pay you to be a rabbi, but it would seem that you're getting into professions not necessarily known for the big money. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't quite for the money. Um, but uh, no, you know, it was actually, it was a whim. A friend of mine from the neighborhood was running for judge of elections. That's like the top office. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. um, he, he said, you know, there's no one on the ballot currently. And so I won on a writing campaign. I got six votes, um, you know, huge, huge landslide win. And, um, you know, it actually, all kidding aside, though, it is really nice to help. You know, I get to see everyone in the neighborhood on Election Day. And the people that were previously running were sort of ready to step down. They were on the older side. We just got new voting machines. I think it's nice to have, you know, and people trust a rabbi being the one who sort of runs the show there. So they're, they're sure there's no funny business going on. Cool. Yeah, make me feel like an underachiever. Anyways. <laughs> get on that again. <laughs> yeah, really. Seriously. Uh, the spiritual life then. This is a quote from Thomas Merton, and it might 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 relate to a little bit about, you know, what we were discussing in terms of call into higher service. Uh, the spiritual life is then, first of all, a matter of keeping awake. Thomas Merton. So 
what does keeping awake mean to you and how do you keep awake and what's spiritual about keeping awake because for me napping is more of the <laughs> spiritual direction i want to go so what does keeping awake mean to you guys when was this written this quote i don't know dude i saw the script like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> hour ago when i sent it to you well i was just about how you know everyone, google it <laughs> everyone uses the word woke now you know as the slang and um it's very interesting that this is not a new concept by any means. Um, the idea of being awake to, to the world, to injustices, to you know, where other people are coming from. Yeah. Let's see, he died in 1968. So whenever it was written, it was a while ago. Yeah. Pre-68, uh, we'll narrow it down. Yeah. Here. You know, I'm sort of of two minds about this. Um, Cause First thing it makes me think of is, you know, the keep awake, therefore passage from whatever book in the New Testament that is. <laughs> um, it's an Advent text. That's what I know. Nailed um, it. <laughs> listen, I'm Presbyterian. Sorry. I know. I'm like, I need somebody to bail me out. Uh, it's usually Shannon. Uh, but, you know, and it's, um, it's this warning to kind of like, be on alert for um, the world to come and all this stuff. And and a, a few years ago, actually, it was I preached on that the week that um, uh, Darren Wilson was acquitted, mm -hmm. and talked about how easy it is for some of us, um, particularly white folks, to to sort of sleep through uh, the realities of injustice that are happening in the world, but that Jesus is with the sleepless. And so, like, if you're seeking to follow Him, then you should be sleepless too. Like you shouldn't be able to sleep through what's going on. Um, so I see, I see some of that in this quote. On the flip side, I'll say um, the other night, my boyfriend and I were talking about the difference between um, mindfulness and in intentionality. Um, this was really about us trying not to drink on a date night. Um, but I, but I was saying that like it feels like we are constantly required to be intentional about everything now. Like intentional about what it is you eat and drink, intentional about how you spend your time, about what you do with your life, what you wear, how you spend your money. And it just like, it gets overwhelming to not have anything that you can just kind of like do and not have to overanalyze. And so we got into this dis discussion about how, but mindfulness is sort of in a kind of awakeness where you're just, you're attentive, you're aware, but not necessarily having to like, I don't know, over, analyze everything right or or, or attachment is more active you're saying yeah. in terms of that. yeah that's interesting i've always used those words sort of interchangeably and never really thought about the distinction i really like that distinction of sort of a more active versus passive way of still being woke in what you're doing but um when i yeah awake for me same two words uh mindfulness and awareness that idea of not just uh floating through but but paying attention and not necessarily attaching judgment, meaning shame, right or wrong, mm -hmm. just just observing mm -hmm. and observing what we're doing, the choices we're making, how they are affecting us, and should we need to make changes? Again, do it do it without judgment. Yeah, you you know. Um, so I I guess that's what a spiritual practice is. Um, I do find spiritual practices. Uh, anything we engage in that brings us closer to God or closer to the understanding of the deepest parts of ourselves. And if we're paying attention, yeah. if we're being mindful and we're paying attention to, and it can get exhausting though. Uh, like <laughs> it can be tiring. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I find that um, I'm just, I'm always learning and I'm really always open to learning and, you know, not, I also like not looking back, meaning there are probably things I did in the past that weren't the most woke because I just didn't know any better. And I think to kind of keep moving forward and continue learning, I have people I follow on on social media with you know diverse opinions to constantly sort of learn new things, whether it's language I'm using, um, you know, little things that just I have no idea about sometimes. And all you can do is you learn about it and then you, you change yeah. your actions moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Leighton, I'm curious. Um, we're about halfway through your dry January. What have you uh, observed uh, 
and been aware about yourself? Yeah. Um, a lot. <laughs> um, I think that, I mean, most of it is not particularly surprising to me because I was, I would say I was passively paying attention before, um, and, and chose to try some intentionality, but it's, I knew that for me, drinking is a lot attached to ritual. And so it's like, what I miss is at the end of my workday, going up to the bar, I hang out at and like finishing up on some work with my laptop at the bar while catching up with the other regulars. Right. And that's like having a couple of beers while I do that. Right. Or, um, I have a family dinner. Do you still do that just without the beer? I haven't yet. I, um, I was giving myself a couple of weeks away to kind of like curb any impulse, but, um, they do half, half price burger night on Thursday. So I told myself I could go up this Thursday and get like a Coke and a burger and hang out. But yeah, so it's stuff. It's so it's, it's the rituals that I miss. And I think that that is okay. And it's okay to have rituals around drinking, but it has kind of made me realize just how many of my rituals (laughs) involve drinking. Mm -hmm. And so, and like how many, you know, I'm a nervous flyer. So before I get on a plane, I have a beer and it's like all these things that like my answer is, yeah, let's just like put a beer on it. That'll fix it. Um, So being intentional and thoughtful about other ways to other coping mechanisms and other ways to enjoy time. Um, And I, just to tie it into the, to the question, I'll say that um, I do think like a natural, even if you're not drunk, a natural impact of alcohol is that it does make you pay less attention. Mm, That is true. It definitely like dulls your sense of awareness. So it's been interesting to just notice that. Right. Yeah. Leighton, I feel like a lot of what you said, you know, in terms of we've been doing uh, vegan for this month and the same kind of thing in terms of just waking me up to food. You know, I'm now reading every single label of everything I'm eating. I don't know if I'm necessarily eating healthier. I've had, you know, a, a lot right. of pasta and chips and things, but, um, but I've, I've just been a lot more thoughtful about what's going into my body and, um, and, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, you just, it sort of makes you realize how much on, especially with food, at least I was on autopilot mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. ever, you know, especially being sort of in a congregation, there's always food out just for whatever function it is. Like, especially for Jews, we feed people a lot and just, oh, just not even thinking about it, just eating, eating, eating. And now always thinking about every single thing I eat, having to be really mindful, intentional about it. Yeah. So in the last six months i have lost 32 pounds wow and wow good man and the only thing that has worked and sustained me in terms of weight loss for the sense of time is counting calories Mm -hmm. so i got you know i got the calorie calorie counting app and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and it's like you it's like okay if i eat this then there's that much less calories i have to eat later the interesting piece about it is I would rather go hungry than fundamentally change my diet so I can eat more good stuff and, and mm-hmm. feel content. <laughs> so, like, so like yesterday uh, after church, I went to lunch with a really, really good friend of mine. And it, for a lot of reasons, it'd been kind of like a bit of an emotional two week stretch. And, but Sunday, but things are like suddenly coming together. Sunday was a good day. The talk was amazing. People loved it. It was all sorts of stuff. I'm like, we're going to lunch. I'm having a beer. We're going to get pizza. I ate about two thirds of like a large pizza just by myself. Okay. So I get home that night. Uh, I get home, totally, total food coma. I nap for like two and a half hours. And then it's dinner time, and I got like 400 calories left before a piece of broccoli. Over, so it's a tiny piece of meatloaf and about like you know half a plate of green beans, mm-hmm. just so I wouldn't go over. And it wasn't necessarily pleasant, but again, it was like I could have also said, uh, you know, screw it, this day is a wash. I'm just gonna eat whatever, which I have done. But again, it's that idea of if you you know where is that I want to go? What do I want to achieve? And I know how to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, in every moment, am I going to make the choice to support that back to that mindfulness? Uh, I think the, the keeping awake speaks to that as well. Just a moment to moment choice. Yeah. Uh, that makes me think of last week while I was in Nashville. Um, I went 
to a restorative yoga class with my friend, which is not a form of yoga I had done before. And like, it totally rocked my world and I loved it. And I immediately, when I got back to Charleston, looked up a studio and went to class <laughs> once I got back. Um, but the thing that really struck me about it is, you know, you're holding this position for a really long time. And so even if at the beginning, the position is not actually all that uncomfortable, the longer you hold it, the more uncomfortable it is. Right. And the instructor, she goes, she tells us notice, like pay attention, notice the discomfort. And then she's like, but don't do anything about it. And she said, we're not in the business of running from our discomfort. Notice it stay with it and see what it gives you. Right. And like, mm. it just made me realize how, how bad I am at doing that. Like I, you know, if something gets uncomfortable enough, I will bail and go back to like old habits or, you know, whatever is comfortable or comforting. Um, and so I've really been thinking about this idea of staying um, and staying in places of growth and discomfort and whatever. And that I think is the kind of awakeness and mm. paying attention that, um, I don't know, it might be easier for some people than others, but it's always been really hard for me. So it's been interesting to lean into that over the last few days. Well, here's here's to your next 17 days of the discomfort of... Thank you. <laughs> not, not drinking or wrong rituals. <laughs> yep. <sighs> so here's another quote for us to mull over. Uh, Talib Al-Habib, let your kindness be like the rain that cares not about whom it falls upon. Compare these compare with these words from Jesus, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew 5, 45. Mm -hmm. How might these words be of value today? And what is the role of kindness in creating a just and compassionate society? Anyone want to jump in there? Uh, I'll just say this is kind of what I preached on uh, yesterday. It was um, the scripture text I used was a passage from uh, 1 Corinthians, and it's Paul basically like yelling at the church of Corinth for dividing themselves among like what, where their loyalties were. So like whether they belong to Paul or to Cephas or Apollos or to Christ. And Paul is like, nah, man, you all belong to the same person, right? And um, just thinking about, I, so the sermon was about, how quick we are to assume that God is on our side um, uh, and how that gives us permission to just reduce and dismiss um, not only the perspective, but the humanity of the person we, or the people we've identified as our opponent and how like that's actually entirely counter scriptural and that we should be more concerned with whether or not we're on God's side. Right. Um, which is the side of love for all. Um, yeah. I think it's super timely we actually talked about this last week uh, in the show coming from another uh, set of questions, but, but this idea of why do we, why do we believe God, God has a side or mm -hmm. God has favorites, you know, and it's, and it's interesting because, because many, many different um, uh, religions or even uh, sects within religions speak of themselves as, as, you know, the, the, the chosen ones or, or mm -hmm. stuff like that and and so there's a lot of language that that supports that god has a side mm -hmm. and and it's interesting because rather than rather than a particular group saying uh you know or, or they may say no we are the chosen you are not you know it kind of makes sense to think well if everyone says they're the chosen maybe they are <laughs> yeah god doesn't have favorites <laughs> Yeah, I thought the uh, I thought the Patriots were the uh, were God's chosen for quite some time, but you know, <laughs> uh, we've Father. learned, and neither were the Ravens either. So uh, Father Time finally caught up with uh, with the Shannon's old Tom there. And Derek aren't here for uh, the post uh, uh, NFL you know, yeah. Sunday. <laughs> but sports fans, I mean, that's the exact example of that, Ogan. I you know you hear it all the time, you know. With these fans and it's just like well I don't, I don't think it works that way guys did you guys see uh, uh uncut gems the movie not yet uh, okay um adam sandler i think the mm -hmm. best role or best work he's done in like friggin' forever better than billy madison i mean that's a really you know uh <laughs> i'm gonna go down the limit and say yeah <laughs> by, by a scooch by a scooch um, uh, no, Happy Gilmore. I think that's uh, always going to be my my Adam Sandler favorite. But anyways, um, 
but this the, the character he plays no spoilers but compulsive gambler mm. like compulsive gambler and um, i won't say where it leads him but the point but you know you bring up the sports and the and and and, and the betting and the and the uh relying on on prayer as some sort of like cajoling god to your side mm-hmm. and, and 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 stuff like that and it's it's really it's fascinating to see that it's still a go-to for a lot of folks even though they've experienced a lot of loss in terms of mm. you know i prayed didn't yeah. win this thing didn't happen but i'm gonna try it again because we need to be make the playoffs or whatever it is so it's for me it's it, it kind of raises the question of you know you know yeah on the surface kind of hilarious hilarity level around sports but but in our life in general like you know the praying and and things not turning out like the way we're praying for and how it might affect our faith or how our doubts roll in you know do we keep praying do we lose faith like what what are your guys thoughts around around that what do you say to people who are like i've been praying and this hasn't happened and you know, so therefore God clearly isn't listening and mm. or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that, I mean, an answer I often cite to that question, but that, you know, it really depends on context, whether it's actually helpful to hear is, um, oh, it's one of those old dead guys uh, talked about how great. I'm really great at like citing my sources. Um, I think I've noticed one of the side effects of January. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was Aquinas, but um, somebody like that talked about how the purpose of petitionary prayer is not the way that it transforms God but the way that it transforms the prayer in order to um, open themselves to receive the will of God. And so, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think there's something to that. That's something I keep in mind in my own life, but certainly there have been times, I mean, there are times too where unanswered prayers just feel like injustice. Right. Um, And I don't, because I do believe in a God that it's this weird tension of like, I believe in a God that listens and cares intimately, but I also don't believe in a puppet master God And so I don't know where exactly prayer fits into that as like a functional force or spiritual practice. Um, But I, like you said, Ogan, I do, it's funny in times of fear or worry or loss, I automatically go back to that place of, of just asking for things, just praying like nonstop. It's like a a reflex. Mm -hmm. Good thing you like. There's a uh, there's an old story uh, about this uh, this man who goes to goes to his rabbi and says, you know, Rabbi, I've been I've been you know praying every day, asking God, you know, for this, and 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 I'm constantly I'm praying to God all the time, and and I and God won't answer me. And the the rabbi she answers, she says, you know, did you shut up long enough to listen? Mm. And I, <laughs> I mean, it's cute, but it's uh, but I think. I, I think there's a lot of answers to this question. And, you know, like Leighton said, sometimes it's just, you know, it's not fair. That's just the world we live in. Um, we don't know is a big part of it, but I think a lot of it is also, it's about us just listening and being open to whatever that, that answer is. And it's not always the answer that we think it's gonna be or what we necessarily are looking for, but what, you know, there's a good book by uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in true, like, rabbinic style, he doesn't actually answer the question, but <laughs> he, he, he sort of gets to a place, ultimately, of saying, okay, bad things are going to happen, and we need to learn, like, what do we, where do we go from here? What do we do about it? And, um, and I think that's sort of about that listening and trying to find that answer. So this is, this is why I love being in, in unity, because uh, it, that, that, that prayer and, like, theodicy question always, like, drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so unity really takes on the God, not as puppet master, God mm-hmm. as, you know, presence of love within. Therefore, prayer is not about asking something outside of ourselves. Prayer is affirming the divinity that we are. Hmm. So, so it's no, there's no beseeching or petitioning prayer. When we're stuck in a situation, we are affirming that all we need to resolve this is already within us. And hmm. to your point, Eli, then it's about 
being open and, yeah. and, and, and listening to see where the inspiration comes from. Um, the author, Eric Butterworth, I think is his name, he says, we don't pray to God, we pray from God. Hmm. Um, and that, for me, that, that takes care of that whole, like, why is sometimes God not listening? It, it, for me, then it becomes, what is, what is the truth of who I am as a divine being that I'm not remembering right now mm-hmm. to, to, to then, you know, pull into action um, in, this, in this situation? How am I, I, I say to folks, the only prayer you ever need to pray is, how am I to show up as God in this right now? Not, mm-hmm. not what's God going to do for me? Um, and and the, 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 the last talk that I gave that really stirred up a lot of people because even though folks have been in unity for years there's still this uh you know anthropomorphization of god as the person out there even though it's not what a theology is so i get up on st- on stage one day and, and boldly announce to people god does not care about you and mm-hmm. it was a couple of months of meetings and calls and emails about that it thinks people actually left the church because of it but i'm like but this is this is unity's teaching there's not a uh, there's not a, a being out there caring for you or loving you. The love and the care that we show for each other, that's the presence of God. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's as us not sending out from somewhere else. So, so for me, that's when we speak about in the question, the role of kindness in creating just a compassionate society. It's, it's the invitation that we have to be the presence of love to be the presence of all those words we ascribe to God, it's not going to happen unless we do it. We show up as it, and we got to listen for the inspiration of how we are to do that. Mm-hmm. That makes me think, um, Eli. Your your story kind of reminds me of this other one that I don't remember in perfect detail, but it's it's like I want to say it's like two guys talking about how they don't understand why bad things happen in the world, and one guy's like yeah, I always want to just like ask God, how can you just sit there and like let all these injustices happen and like not raise a hand to help anybody? And the other guys will says like, well, why don't you ask God? And the first guy says, well, because I'm afraid that God will ask me the same question. Mm-hmm. Right? Nice. And so Ooh, it's I this like, oh. yeah, I do think it's, it, I mean, yeah, Ogan, I really resonate. I mean, even though my theology is a little bit different, I really resonate with this like, that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll convert you yet. It's okay. <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, we are the hands and feet though, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, God has no hands and feet but ours kind of thing. And so exactly. if we're if we're sitting idle, um, then we need look to ourselves for for change. Yeah. And it's not easy because it's 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 hard. It is intrinsically hard to be to be God for the other for mm-hmm. the one that doesn't agree with us, that doesn't subscribe to our philosophy, that doesn't subscribe mm-hmm. to our politics, you know, that, that we label as strange and weird. It's, it's hard, but you know, that's, that's the work. Yeah. Well, that's that, that quote coming back to that about, you know, about kindness and this idea that, of, that we, um, you know, that like rain does not care who it falls upon mm-hmm. and that, that, when we truly try to love everyone, regardless of their their background, religion, whatever, that can open us up to really, you know, making that change and being being that the hands and feet of God in this world. Now, rain doesn't care whom it falls upon, but there are some places that need rain that don't get it, and then some places that don't need rain that got too much of it. Yeah. So, what does that mean? Mm, climate change. <laughs> There, okay. To, to clarify, <laughs> <laughs> okay, if I think a more you, spiritual, religious kind of parallel, <laughs> but hey, hey, to go with the metaphor, um, <laughs> you know, it's difficult because people talk about the idea of like think globally, act locally, um, and you know that can work. But if all of us, you know, in the you know in sort of the developed world, are only acting in the developed world, how's you know where's that? How are we making any difference elsewhere? And I think that's that's a tough one, right? How do we balance um, where we spend our time, where we spend our energy in in repairing this world? And um, I struggle with that a lot. Um, I really struggle with that because I think I think about some of the things I'm working on here in Philadelphia. There's, you know, we have extreme poverty, um, 
But at the same time, our poverty is nothing compared to, you know, famine in certain parts of, you know, mm-hmm. the developing world. And so right. how do you, I don't know how you balance that. That's a hard one. Well, and it's, it makes, I don't know. I think that, you know, in a perfect world or a, a better world than the one we live in, um, you trust, like you do what is within your sphere to do and you trust that other people will do what's in their sphere to do. And the problem is that like we live in a world where we don't have much reason to trust that in any kind of like universal way. Um, but years ago, there was this book written called Blessed Unrest that is about like the basic thesis of the book was that the key to solving all of the world's ills um, is essentially like an endless sea of micro nonprofits that have that are hyper focused on their immediate issue um, and can give all of their resources to that and that gives them a sort of agility and intensity of focus that they can't have if they're trying to address all of these needs right but it's only because there are just endless numbers of those nonprofits doing that work that um, there is this sort of sea of productive unrest, right? Not willing to let things lie anywhere. And, and um, that that is how the most effective change happens. But, um, but yeah, it does require a certain amount of trust that, that other people are doing the work too. Making Amazon pay some taxes would help as well. Yeah, that too. <laughs> like that, I, I'm still all riled up about that. <laughs> uh, you talk about dry January. I'm like in month three of dry Amazon. I quit Amazon and... How is that going? You know, it's, I miss the TV. I miss, I miss Amazon. I miss the Really Prime? Prime is that, I, we also quit, we quit Amazon and um, a couple months ago and I find Hulu and Netflix, I got it all. I mean, other than the Marvelous Miss Maisel, which I'll wait till it comes out on DVD or do people use DVDs still? No, I don't know. Um, no. <laughs> 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 you can wait till the bubble bursts on streaming services. Yeah, really. There we go. We return to no. socialized cable. No, no, they don't put those on TV. But, but yeah, that's the, in terms of buying products, it's not been a problem because I find with just like 10 more minutes of research, I can find the same or comparable product for the same amount of money or even less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've, I've been spending anymore. Um, it may take a little longer to get to me. So I got to be a little more proactive in terms of thinking ahead. Um, right. and- Coming back to all the mindfulness stuff. I mean, it, 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 it makes you more intentional. I, exactly. I, when I had Prime and I had the app on my phone and oh any time I just like, oh, I want that, bing, one touch ordering, click a button, oh, bing, bing, bing. And yeah. now I think about it, I'm like, okay, do I really actually need this or I just want this? And right. I've, and, I've, and a lot of it is also that, that the FOMO, the fear missing out. Like for me, it, with, with the shows, with the shows yeah. on Prime, besides, you know, Maisel, I mean, they've done some really good shows, you know, Transparent, thank God that's over. I would not have quit if, if, if they hadn't finished Transparent. Um, but they do a lot of good, meaningful, um, watchable TV. So there's a piece of me that, that the TV-holic that I am, want to make sure I can see everything, right? So, like, I'm this close to now signing up for CBS All Access so I can watch Picard when it comes out. Right. Um, I'll probably do that. Because, you know, and and, but apparently... It's streaming internationally on Amazon, and uh, you know I got a I got a VPN. So if I'd sign up for Am- if I'm still an Amazon customer, I'd be watching that. You know, so it's like, uh. yeah, I so I have not yet quit Amazon in part because I literally own an Amazon TV, <laughs> makes it challenging. Um, but it is something I think about often and, and want to work towards. But you know what's funny for me? I mean, I do love uh, Maisel and some of their other shows. But I actually think I could, like, come around to missing out on those because there's so many shows I want to be watching that I'm inevitably missing something. For me, it is that as far as I know, Prime is the only one of the streaming services where if something's not streaming for free, you can pay to watch it on your, like, you know, again, the immediacy thing. So it's like... Right. If I want to watch fried green tomatoes, that's not streaming anywhere, but I go type it in to Amazon Prime and I can rent it for four bucks or buy it for $8. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like that. And, and what happens for me, and I do think this is tied to intentionality and all of this stuff, but I get like, I'll get in these moods where I'm like hyper nostalgic for something. And it's like, I have to watch it right then. <laughs> like Prime is the only place that delivers on that. And so 
I would have to, I mean, it, it's not an unfixable. Like I'd have to learn how to set up my DVD player again and get over it. Like, <laughs> buy my favorite movies and stuff. Um, but it is, it's like, it's so easy to feel like, well, how did I live without this? You right. know? And it's like, actually this totally unnecessary uh, luxury. Yeah. It's become so ingrained in how we do life. And it's not just Amazon, but, but they're the, you know, they're the example right now become such an yeah. ingrained part of how we live that now even two day delivery is too slow. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and for some of us, it's, it's like next day or same day delivery. And I'm like, when did we make that turn to anything you want in the whole world at your doorstep in two days is not fast enough. Yeah. It's okay. Insane. I need those emoji socks. Like, yes. Right? I mean, <laughs> it's insane. Oh, we've lost ourselves. We've lost ourselves. Oh. Um, all right. Uh, <laughs> hard turn. Hard turn. <laughs> Stop immigration. <laughs> Let's talk immigration. Wait, am I the only immigrant on the show? Is everyone else native? Native? Native born? I am, I am not an immigrant. I mean, every year, at, every year at Passover, we utter the words, In every generation, each person should feel as if they personally were, were part of the exodus from Egypt. So um, wow. that is spiritually, spiritually, I, I, I believe in that. But uh, in reality, yeah, I'm like third, fourth generation. <laughs> gotcha. So we got a spiritual immigrant, an actual immigrant, and a, and a, and a non-immigrant. I've been around for a, a really embarrassingly long time in these here southern parts <laughs> you're nomad you're a nomad you're kind of like an internal immigrant does that count no <laughs> listen listen i have lived in like six different states they're different countries okay let's I'll, be clear about that <laughs> not to equivocate because i do think these things are very different but for when we get to the actual question i'll say that you know, I, I sort of was in self-imposed exile from the South for a lot of years as a queer person. I mean, I left because mm -hmm. on some level I knew that I needed to come back or come out rather. And I thought that I would never come back. So there, there is this sort of interesting coming back now with this 10 years of experience elsewhere that puts me at odds with a lot of people here that is an, it is not the same as being an immigrant, but it is an interesting like sort of juxtaposition of being a stranger in a strange land. So, so let's jump into the question. Is it appropriate to use and apply this text from Leviticus 9, 19, 32 to 34 to today? Quote, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Mm -hmm. So applicable, not applicable, what degree of applicability? Is that a word? It is now, applicability. What, what, what degree do we take that on? And, and how, so let's go back to you, Lady. How, how is that relating to what you said about going away and coming back mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to the South, South as a queer person? Yeah. Um, I think more tangibly, I think it's super relevant to um, the reality of immigration, actual immigration in the world today and in the U.S. and realities of refugees. And um, to be honest, I've yet to hear somebody make an argument against applying this text or others like it in a way that comes across as anything other than like, that's just not my political opinion. So... <laughs> We can't bring that into the conversation, right. um, which is maybe a, a little more dismissive than I should be. But I just haven't heard a compelling argument for why. I mean, certainly it is the technical realities of immigration are different now than they were then. Right. That is true. How that actually plays out. But whether or not this should still be our guiding principle. Uh, I mean, to me, that's sort of a no brainer. Um, Ultimately, know. it's a text about um, about empathy. And, you know, at the end of the day, unless you are Native American, like American Indian, we are all immigrants. And it's just, you know, how far back do you want to go? And I mean, the one, you know, the political line that you always hear is, well, my family came here legally. Oh, well, we went through that. It's the most bullshit argument I've ever heard. Uh, I think yeah. you know, we all agree with that, that you know, the laws are different. And, and when there was a time, you know, I was very lucky. My family came over at the turn of the century at a time when, you know, there was horrible persecution in Eastern Europe and the U.S. was still letting people in. 
And so mm -hmm. they were able to come in those massive waves. And just because the country changed its laws and won't let it doesn't mean it's any different today. Yeah. Well, and I think, I actually think this is, even though it was a hard turn from what we had just previously been talking about, um, this question doesn't actually seem entirely unrelated to question, the previous question for me, because really I think what it comes down to thematically is the things you think separate you from one another do not in fact separate mm -hmm. you from one another, right? Like yeah. when it all comes down to it, um, we are still connected and we are still all human and, and equally beloved and all of these things. Um, and so that, to your point, Eli, like it is, it's empathy, right? It's about recognizing um, the God image in others as it exists in ourselves and in those we love more easily um, and not putting up walls between ourselves uh, literally or figuratively. So where does the, where does the fear come from about the other? Because, because yeah, this is, this is a verse in Leviticus, but you also have other verses in the Bible where clearly the stranger from another land yeah. is mistreated mm -hmm. in, massive, okay, in massive ways. What's so interesting is right after this text is, or right before it is love, love your neighbor. As yourself, right? That's also right. Leviticus 19. It's right in there. I can't. I think it comes right before. Um, but if you if you look at the Hebrew, and it can kind of work in the English too, you could read it not as love your neighbor as yourself, but love your neighbor who is like yourself. Hmm. Meaning, it's mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to love the neighbor because they're similar, right? When someone looks like me, when someone shares the exact same values as me, the same religion, whatever else it's very easy to love them. And it makes it a lot harder, I think. And part of uh, the way I've always read those two texts being juxtaposed, the love your neighbor and love the stranger, is that it, we don't necessarily need justification to love our neighbor because it's sort of the obvious. They're, they're like us, they're one of us. Right. But mm -hmm. we need to be pushed a little to love the stranger because they're, they're automatically saying they're not like you. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's gonna be harder and therefore you need, to, you need to sort of work to empathize and work to push yourself. Yeah, I think, um, you know, at least on a person-to-person -person basis, I think, you know, the reasons that we fear difference are, I mean, I think partly it's, this is the first chapter in my book, by the way. Um, I, I mean, I think partly it's that accepting that people exist that understand the world completely differently, have completely different abilities, experiences, contexts, means acknowledging that there's like, there's a limit to what you can understand and know, and that like, the, I think we have kind of get this tunnel vision, even if we don't think we do, that like the world as we encounter it is the world. And being honest about recognizing that people who are different are of equal value means recognizing that our limitations are equal to the limitations of others, at least, right? And our limited right. perspectives. And then I think that gets compounded when you're talking about a population who you know, has been unfairly or unduly elevated to a position of privilege, um, you know, reckoning with the idea that people who don't occupy that same space of privilege are actually equivalent means reckoning with the fact that maybe you have something that you don't deserve and that like a more equitable world means giving that up. Um, yeah, I don't. And so I think, I mean, I get why that's scary. I find it scary. Right. But it's also um, and necessary. And, and, and we've been, we've been spectacularly unequipped to handle the question. <laughs> I've been, uh, I was listening to an uh, episode of On Being podcast the other day with uh, Brene Brown. And she <laughs> talks about how she's on tour and she, she asks people, raise your hand if someone you love dearly has a different political opinion than you and you can't comprehend why they believe what they believe. She goes like 95% of people raise their hand. And then mm -hmm. she says, how many of you would be willing to write that person out of your life and not encounter them ever again because of that belief? And then she goes only like, you know, 5% of people maybe raise their hands if that much. So we're mm -hmm. in this conflict of, I love these people. They're my family, they're my friends, they're whatever. And they have this opposing belief that I don't understand, and I am not equipped to to to, to deal with that. Yeah, you know. So it's been like I always I always um, say um, the only way I'm going to get 
through the Trump administration is to keep focusing on gratitude. What what can I be thankful for that, that, that has showed up because of this? And one of the things is we are now learning and developing techniques and language to deal with this. You know, how do you truly love the people in your life who really disagree with you to the point where you feel their belief is going to burn the world? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think yeah, I mean, the, go ahead. I was just, I, to, to bring it back to what I was saying about being in queer exile and then coming home. Um, I think for me, I, I really struggled with a long, for a long time with feeling like my responsibility was to totally cut these people out of my life um, and, and finding myself incapable of that. Um, and so it took me a lot of years to be like, well, there must be, <laughs> I don't know, there must be some meeting place between these things that to your point. I feel ill-equipped to figure out how they fit together. Um, but I'm not going to figure it out unless I'm like actually committed to being in these people's lives and having them in mind and being an active uh, relationship where we encounter each other on a human level on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, so I just really resonate with what um, and, and to your point, you it's not for you to figure out. It's for all of you to figure out together. Right. Yeah. Because they're, the, they're in the same boat. They might be sitting on the, you know, you might be in the bow and they in the stern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think got that right. Um, I don't see it, um, but, but you're in the same you're in the same boat. So you, yeah, you, yeah, you can't figure it out on your own. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Final words about this whole thing? This whole this whole mess of questions we got here about kindness and awareness and uh, and uh, welcoming the stranger. I'll just say that I think the big thing is. Um, just to bring it full circle, uh, in order, this is messy. Like it is messy and it is unresolvable and it will not ever be settled in our lifetime, how we figure this all out. And so that ability to stay in places of discomfort is the key to doing this work, right? Being able to recognize that you're not going to arrive at a destination where you've got it all figured out and it's all comfortable and everybody gets along and yada, 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 but instead being committed to the work, even if it's uncomfortable ad infinitum. There's, um, it's nice when I record at work because I have my, uh, my prayer book with me and uh, there's a reading that we have in our, um, our prayer book and it, it just, it made me think a lot of what we were talking about and a poem, I actually don't know the author, but um, it's, um, it's what we, it's one of the interpretive readings we do at the same section where we talk about like uh, redemption from Egypt and, and the exodus from Egypt. And it says, standing on the parted shores of history, we still believe what we were taught, that wherever we go is eternally Egypt, that there is a better place, a promised land, that the winding way to that promise passes through the wilderness, and that there is no way to get from here to there except by joining hands and marching together. Ah. Oh. Nice. There's your there's your slogan for your uh, campaign. That's there beautiful. Marching down the paved road together. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Oh wow. Who? So you said you don't you don't know who wrote that? That's you no. Know, let me see if I can find it. I'll look it's in the like back. You got the book, or is it unknown in the book? I, it's yeah. It's not listed in the book, but it may be in the in the back uh, of it. Gotcha. Will you send that to us too, if possible? Yeah, yeah. definitely. We will definitely post that. That was that was beautiful. Um, the, the, the metaphor that comes to me, it's like shepherd's pie, bunch of ingredients that don't look like they go together and messy, but once you dig in, man, it's delicious. Michael Walzer is the author. Michael Walzer. Cool. Cool beans. All right. On that note, thank you to our special guests, Layton and Eli. Pleasure. Uh, Miss you, Shannon. Happy birthday, Derek. Turned the big four O. I thought he was a lot older, but mm -mm. (laughs) Spring chicken, man. Spring chicken. Mm-hmm. This, 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 the guy who's a, just a shy 45, but I feel like he and I were closer in age. Anyways, happy birthday, Derek. Love you, man. Um, and thank you to Brian. I think that did not come out how I intended it. Thank you to Brian for the questions. <laughs> you can connect, spread the word on social media, listen to anytime SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. Um, watch us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Sign up at patreon.com slash Life for more content and find or create a pub theology gathering in your time. Hey, are you, Leighton, are you still doing groups or? Uh, yeah, I still have to register. I'm working on it. 
Okay, but you did have a cool one. Did you start one? Did yeah, you? I started one. I just didn't realize that I had to use Brian's question. You so don't. You, have you could create your own questions. It's not like a you know, copyright trademark thing. But it's been going well. It's an interesting uh, intergenerational group. We had like 15 people last week, which nice. is a high for us. So it's good. Well, there you go. So you can create your own theology in your town. If you want to come to that, hit us up at pulptheology.com slash directory. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly. Keep